Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of Veach Season. I am your host, Rocky Magana, joined by my main ombre, Price Carter, and also with our very, very special guest today, the old JSAP man himself, the aficionado when it comes to everything Chiefs football. This guy is probably one of the smartest guys in the game when it comes to everything Chiefs, especially if we're talking cap, numbers, contracts, that sort of thing. He, there's not a guy in that that covers Chiefs football who knows more than he does when it comes to that sort of thing. And so we are super, super lucky to have him today. This is our Oh, this is going to come out on Monday. This is our post-combine episode. We've been cramming all weekend long, just watching 40-yard dashes, watching vertical jumps, watching people run around in shorts and catch it. You know what? Newsflash, and this is probably stating the obvious, there's a lot of football players that look really good in their underwear. I mean, they are just some really cut and chiseled human beings that I, you look at them, you say, man, that guy looks like he'd be pretty good at football, you know, when you watch him. And so... uh Hey, Bryce, how's it going today, man? It's going fantastic, and you're exactly right. You know, I've just been refreshing the Athletic Matrix Twitter account, just constantly refreshing math bombs for the RAS scores for this week. It's been phenomenal. It's been a, it's been a really good week as far as just the combine in general. I think that there were so many players that really improved their draft stock, which was great. I, I really don't think – we've got a few players that kind of disappointed, but I really think – a lot of players raise their stock. And and that's one of my biggest takeaways from this combine. It's just players are getting so good at this, man. They, they really know how to prepare. And even the players that have some strategy to what they're doing, you know, your Bryce Youngs or whatever, they come in bulked up and then they're not going to do the things that make them look bad. Players are getting so good at the combine. And I, I just think it's a win for the NFL in, in general. I couldn't agree more. And speaking of Bryce Young, I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back around to that in a second. I got some thoughts on Bryce Young, uh, but we'll put a pin in that for, for a heartbeat because I want to give Jared a chance to, to greet everybody. Jared, man, how you doing? Coming to us from the great Lone Star state of Texas. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going really well. When the combo was this weekend, it just dawned on me, you know, the, the real bonus of winning the Super Bowl is how fast the offseason comes. It's also kind of a, a stressful situation when you're trying to cover the Chiefs because I covered a lot of news for Arrowhead Pride after the Super Bowl and the combine this week and just made me realize just how behind I am on really knowing a lot of the players in the draft and really having a good idea of what Chiefs are looking for. But it's great to be here. It's my first podcast appearance on Arrowhead Pride of the offseason. I'm ready to just get this started. Good to get your feet wet. Wet your whistle a little bit, buddy, because when once the draft gets here, you're going to be on everybody's headphones, earbuds, just just dropping knowledge like you did last year. And so you got to get out there and just, you know, knock the rust off a bit here today. Um, speaking of that, so let's, I'm going to jump into a topic that's a little bit off topic, but I want to talk Bryce Young just for one second. I My personal opinion is if a quarterback doesn't show up at the combine and throw – then he's off my draft board. And I know that that's kind of insane to think about and insane to say, but more than any other position, you want a guy who can show up under any circumstance and perform. I don't want a guy who can only throw the ball underneath uh, a, a playbook or, 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 or a plan that he designed himself to his receivers overseen by his coach in a perfect environment. That's not going to cut it in January in Buffalo. There, it's almost compared to Kobe Bryant where like, like if you like Kobe Bryant once said, fans booing never caused me to miss a free throw, right? I missed the free throw because I missed it. If you can't pick up the ball and step out on the field and make some throws in front of everybody in an uncomfortable situation, then I don't know if you're the guy that I'm gonna invest my entire team's future in. You know, so what's 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 your opinion on that, Price? Well, I think uh, Dane Brugler's father, I believe, is a scout or was a scout in an NFL organization. And he was talking about how his dad went through the combine and helped with the quarterbacks and everything. And he was talking about how important it was for him to be able to sit at field level and watch the ball come out of the quarterback's hands and listening to the ball even. And, you know, you can tell the difference when uh, Patrick Mahomes or, you know, this year Anthony Richardson throws the ball. You can hear the pop of the ball versus, you know, a weaker-armed quarterback or not even seeing it at all. Um, yeah, so with Bryce Young, I just think 
he kind of has the ult- he has the cards in his hands, right? If he's not a player that doesn't have such a high draft stock coming in, that probably changes the narrative a little bit. We obviously know that he definitely packed on some weight, which I, I just think is pointless. Like I, I really liked what Anthony Richardson did, and he came out and tested and did everything that he could. And just showed like, hey, these are my traits. Now, obviously, he knew that he was going to test well, right? He knew that that was going to be a really great display of his skill set. But Young should have just come out, done everything that he could have done, put everything is, and said, yeah, I'm 5'10", and I weigh 185 pounds, and this is the weight that I play at, and come out and put his best game forward. Everyone knows that that's an inflated 200 pounds. So, yeah, I I agree. And you're not wrong, too, about throwing to his guys, throwing the routes. That's all scripted. It's, it's very much a rehearsed technique. But guess what? He's still probably going to be QB1 unless someone really falls in love with their own guy and jumps in front of the Texans. So he kind of holds the ultimate cards there. It's probably not going to hurt him. I think that his his camp looked at Kyler Murray and everything that Kyler Murray did and said, yeah, we're just going to replicate Kyler Murray's plan because of the similarities between the two players. You know what, though? Call me crazy. Kyler Murray's not on my draft board either. And it's not because he's 5'10 and 175 pounds. It's because I don't think Kyler Murray has championship makeup in him. And and you know what? Go ahead. Well, Kyler Murray's the better prospect than Bryce Young. Everyone's sitting here making that that comparison. Kyler Murray was a better athlete with the ball in his hands as a runner and has a better arm. I mean, this is a, a highly a top 10 MLB draft pick as well. You know, like th- that's why I have a problem with the Kyler Murray Bryce Young comparison is because what Kyler was doing, he has more upside. The middle of the field is still an option for Kyler Murray. Bryce Young's shorter than Kyler Murray, or maybe they were the same height. I, I don't remember exactly. I know it's close, but I just don't think that with the lack of arm strength that he has and being not being able to throw off platform, the middle of the field is going to be really hard for him right off the bat. What do you think, Jared? What's your take on this? I mean, I've always been somebody who I don't know that I'm drafting Bryce Young because of his size. Like, I, it's always been something that's scared me about him. I don't really care if he threw at the combine or not, just because of all the players. I think everybody has seen. There's, there's, he's just been on so many big games. That I don't think there's a lot of question about what he can do and what he has to offer. I think the me- the measurements at the combine, I think, are really the only thing he had to accomplish. And I, I don't particularly buy that weight. I would love to know where he went to dinner the night before. Um, I don't think he had a lot to gain, and I don't think throwing or not throwing should change anybody's opinion on him. I mean, and well, here's the here's the other interesting part about that weight is that Alabama's pro day is next week. Like he's not going to be able to get that weight back off again for it to make any meaningful difference in his in his numbers right and so if you so it's really i think comes down to him just throwing in an environment that he's comfortable in uh, because his numbers aren't going to be any better at the pro day than they would have been this weekend you know but anyway we're not a bryce young alabama uh you know houston texans podcast we'll move off of it i but i digress chiefs kingdom uh, but one thing that a little bit of a little bit of interesting stuff that's been in the news recently is that uh, DeAndre Hopkins is reportedly, you know, newsflash this time of year. There's rumors that somebody's available via trade for a certain price. And so the 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 name of the week is DeAndre Hopkins and the reported asking price is a, is a second round pick. Uh, Jared, what, what, what do you do in this situation? Do you think it's all smoke and mirrors? Do you think it's BS or do you think that there's actually traction to this? And, and what would you do? Um, I 100% believe that DeAndre Hopkins is going to be traded. Usually when it gets out that the asking price is a second-round pick, that means that they probably realistically are expecting to get a third-round pick and change. I don't – generally whatever the insiders have is the asking price is very rarely met. I feel like for the Chiefs fans, every offseason there's something that – there's maybe a 5% chance that it happens and everybody gets worked up and picks sides. I don't really expect the Chiefs to be in on DeAndre Hopkins, especially with uh, the report from Jeremy Fowler today that the Chiefs are actually looking to re-sign Juju Smith-Schuster. There's there's not a world where there's cap space to get both of them. Um, for DeAndre Hopkins, the compensation, I'm not really that worried about. Like I, I would give up a third-round pick and change just to have him. Uh, the money concerns me, especially you're either inheriting a pretty big cap hit immediately or he's going to want a new contract where you can probably squeeze him under the cap really easily this season. But 
there's going to be some big numbers down the line and you're probably going to wind up cutting him uh, probably after two seasons anyway. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's the deal, right? It's either you, you pay him now or you, or you pay him some funny money down the line on some fake years, right. That are voided. Um, Price, what do you think? Is he, is he too old? Is he, is he worry you with his injury history? What you think he's what we need? What's your opinion? I think that the process of bringing in a player like DeAndre Hopkins is a good process for the Chiefs. I think DeAndre Hopkins is the wrong player. The process is good. The results is the issue. DeAndre Hopkins just isn't a Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver. He doesn't separate. He's, you know, one of the higher contested rate catches players in the NFL. He's over 31. He has the, or he's 31 years old. He has the PED use in his pass, which I don't really think enhanced his performance as much as it did keep him healthy. And that, and that's a major concern too, right? And then you have the whole element of trading a pick for a player on the wrong side of 30 and the potential of a new contract. DeAndre Hopkins definitively makes the Chiefs a better team next year. But we're, we've learned here in Kansas City that it's more than just this year. It's the year and the year after that. Now, what I do have a problem with is this mentality, and I'm going to get on a soapbox here for a second, this mentality that, oh, because the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this way, they have to do it again next year, and they have to run out scrums at wide receiver. And look, they did it last year with Juju and Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore. They can do it again and again. That's how it played out this time. And then what about the last Super Bowl the Chiefs won, whenever they were stacked on offense and went and got Sammy Watkins? My thing is this. If the Chiefs are going to continue to roll the, roll this money back and try to be very cautious with the cap and their draft picks, I completely agree with that process, and I think it will serve them well in the long term. However, if we're just going to roll the cap back and sit and pinch pennies to pay an off-ball linebacker, Nick Bolton, a center and a guard in Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, or um, you know a corner, which is an extremely volatile position as far as how it goes year-to-year and luxurious need, it's not worth it to me. The number one priority needs to be Keep Patrick Mahomes happy in this organization besides winning football games. And how do you keep him happy? By having weapons. It happened very quickly where Tom Brady dropped back and all of a sudden Julian Edelman wasn't there and Gronk wasn't there and James White wasn't there anymore. And there was, you know, he was throwing the ball to Chris Hogan. It, the same thing happened with Rodgers and Green Bay. The Chiefs need to continue to find blue chip offensive talent. So I think DeAndre Hopkins is the wrong name and I'm probably out on him unless it's a day, t- like a day three pick. Um, and there's not a new deal involved with it. But if Keenan Allen or someone else, some of those other names that we've talked about becomes available, I would absolutely pay a day to pick for Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen can get open in the dark like with one leg because the dude is one of the best route runners in the NFL. You get that player to Andy Reid, that's going to be like a cheat code for Mahomes. And also, let's not pretend that relying on 34-year-old Travis Kelsey, Kadarius Tony's hamstrings, and a seventh-round rookie running back is a good process to win a Super Bowl year after year. They did it this year. We should be thrilled with it. And yes, you want as many tickets to the dance as possible, so that way you can go on a run. But overall, I think the Chiefs need to continue to find blue-chip talent. Yes, this is also a Bijan Robinson topic we've kind of come back to where it's like, hey, you need to find game breakers on offense. I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating that they trade up for Bijan. I'm not advocating that they go get DeAndre Hopkins. But I do think at some point you have to know this is the time that we need to go and continue to improve our offense because one day you're going to look up and there's going to be nobody out there. Jared, I'm going to no look past this one back over to you and get your take on this. I see that it looks like he has some some thoughts as he was talking. I mean, I watched the running backs work out today, and I don't think Bijan Robinson's in the Chiefs' range. I don't think it's happening. Um, I really wish that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had not happened two years ago because the Chiefs could probably get a game-breaker in Jameer Gibbs in the first round. He's worth the first-round pick. He's probably running back one in 19 out of 20 drafts. I don't think you can sell that because everybody's going to say, but wait, this happened two years ago with the running back who nobody thought was going to be a superstar. Um, I definitely am, think the Chiefs need to get a game break or something on offense. I don't know that Chiefs fans are ready to think about what it's probably going to look at from this draft because if you watch this weekend, there's probably not going to be a wide receiver that's worth using pick 31, pick 31 for. I mean, I don't think you could have been more underwhelmed by what you kind of saw from the crowd yesterday. 
if that involves getting a tight end, uh, another straight up move tight end who's never going to be Kelsey, but can maybe have that that rapport with Mahomes when Kelsey retires or becomes a full time comedy show host uh, sometime coming up. Or you know, if you have a running back with actual game breaking speed who can catch the pass and just destroy people in space, that's worth pick thirty one. Are we ready to see that? That that's the way the Chiefs are improving their weapons. You know, here's my personal take on taking a running back in the first round is you can't let a past mistake define your future decisions. Like that's that's my personal take on the situation. Yeah. Are you old enough to remember the Chiefs drafting tackle Victor Riley in the first rounds? One of the first drafts I remember watching. Price isn't old enough for this. Um they drafted a tackle Victor Riley probably in the mid nineties. And what did when the internet then is people writing into the Kansas City Star, but everybody said, we drafted a tackle who was a bust two years ago. Why are we doing this again? And uh, Trezell Jenkins. And you, you can't let one mistake dictate what happens going forward. There's running backs who are worth the 31st pick this year. And if that's where you need to go, drafting Clyde shouldn't impact that. Unfortunately, I am old enough to remember the Chiefs drafting Trezell Jenkins in the first round. And I'm also old enough to remember the Chiefs drafting Greg Hill in the first round and him not exactly panning out to be everything that we thought he was going to be as a first round running back. But listen, you got to keep taking swings on players you believe in. I'm I'm uh, I'm a super big proponent of taking the best available on the board and especially when it comes to a playmaker. And if Jameer Gibbs is there and you think he's the best offensive playmaker on the board, then you take him. And I don't care if you take him as a running back and then like you did with Tyreek Hill and then call him a wide receiver all of a sudden and just give him bubble screens and jet sweeps for the first season and then let him work on the on his route tree later or just then convert him back to running back once all the hubbub has, has died down. Yeah, just real quick to put a bow on this. I did a breakdown of the last five years of running backs that have been where they've been drafted in the production in the NFL. I set the threshold as about 500 yards rushing, 250 yards receiving per a season. Essentially, Isaiah Pacheco is one of three or four players in the last five years to be taken in on day three of the draft and produce that type of production. That's not just that's not to say that, you know, Pacheco's a bad pick and they can't rely on him. Maybe it's a true bell cow next year and the Chiefs don't even really need to worry about that position. I definitely agree that the Chiefs need a game breaker. Obviously I'm the one that brought that point up. But I do think that the Chiefs Chiefs fans should be okay with taking a, a running back on day two. I do agree that at this point, offensive tackle four or five or edge five or six or corner three or four or safety two or whatever they end up doing at pick 31 might be more valuable than running back one, which would be Bijan. Um, I, it's hard because he's probably a top 10 player in the draft. And, you know, I, I, Jameer Gibbs, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go there at pick 31, just because I think the size concerns are there and he has a very defined role and he would be great at the role and it'd be great to have him for five years doing that passing down role. And then, yeah, maybe he does grow into another player or into a a better player and a more defined role. But yeah, I definitely think with what the Chiefs are running out there on offense right now, Chiefs fans shouldn't be afraid of a day two running back. And quite frankly, if you're wanting to get a running back that can make an impact, that's where they're going to come day one and day two, day three, it starts becoming a much tougher proposition. I agree. I agree 100%. I think that the problem is is that some of the Chiefs, the Chiefs' most recent bell cow running back, but prior to uh, Pacheco was Kareem Hunt. You could really call a bell cow running back, and he was a later draft guy as well. And so Chiefs fans have this has this flawed idea in their head that you can just find all-world running backs you know, late in the draft on a consistent basis, which isn't necessarily already always true. But anyway, we've, we've spent way too much time talking about running back possibilities and this sort of thing. We're going to move ahead to the franchise tag and talk about that for a second. Um, so the Chiefs have a franchise tag to still hand out. Most likely it's probably going to Orlando Brown Jr. as far as we know right now. Um, Jared, what's going on with the franchise tag? What do you think the Chiefs are going to do? What's the, what's the implications of it? And how does that affect their draft plan? If they don't reach a long-term deal with Orlando Brown Jr., he's he's getting franchised. And right now, I think between now and the start of the league year on March 15th, I think the Chiefs really would like to either have a long-term deal done with either Orlando Brown Jr. to avoid the franchise tag or 
a mega extension done for Chris Jones that brings down his cap hit this year. Because right now they don't they don't have the cap space to do the franchise tag for Orlando Brown. And it's I think for a regular offensive lineman, it's like 16 point something million. Well, with Brown, it's pretty much straight at 20 million because he gets a 20 percent uh, raise from what he received last year on his first franchise tag. I think the most likely thing that's going to happen is they're going to pay Orlando Brown on the franchise tag. He's probably going to sulk. He's probably going to miss a little bit more camp this time around. And then he's bet on himself so long that there's no reason for him to just pout and say, I'm not playing on this franchise tag because basically to give him a franchise tag the third time in 2024, you're, you're paying him the average of the top five salaries in the league. So he's getting paid like quarterback numbers that, that nobody expects that to happen. Orlando Brown, if he gets the franchise tag, he will play on it because he's bet on himself this long, knowing he's never going to see a franchise tag the rest of his career. Um, I think the plan is probably going to be they're going to franchise Orlando Brown and then probably use one of their first two picks on a tackle, not because they think that they can trade Orlando Brown and slide that tackle in, but because that tackle is probably either going to get the Eric Fisher treatment where they compete to be the right tackle as a rookie and then slide over um, a year later, because remember, uh, Brandon Albert was still the Chiefs left tackle when they drafted Fish. Or if they draft a raw tackle who they really like the trades for, it might just be a Mahomes situation where your first round pick red shirts a year because you really expect him to be able to play such an expensive position at a high level his second year. So, so with that idea in mind of giving it to Eric Fisher treatment or somebody who's going to sit a year and then slide in the left tackle. That really kind of – it takes some names off the board in this draft, you're right, because there's so, there's a lot of guys who are kind of bigger names in this draft, but they're kind of right tackle specific, like Darnell Wright is, is purely a right tackle. So, Price, with that in mind, with that kind of approach, what are some names that Chiefs fans could be looking at that to kind of – with that kind of scenario in mind? Well, you you know, one that comes right off the mind, had a good week, was Darnell Wright, right tackle from Tennessee. Uh, Matthew Matthew Bergeron, right tackle from uh, Syracuse as well. It's another name that will come to mind. Anton Harrison is still a name. We had a big scare with his arm length. Uh, slack was blowing up this week or today kind of because there were some incorrect arm length numbers. I mean, dude was being talked about like a full-on T-Rex with his arm size, potentially. It was corrected, though. Those are all names that come to mind as to what's going to be there at 31. I think, actually, when it comes to the franchise tag and Orlando Brown, I think one of the most interesting things is going to be actually what they do with Andrew Wiley. The reason be that there's a situation where if the Chiefs bring back Andrew Wiley and they tag Orlando Brown, that Orlando Brown is still not back on this team because tag and trade can happen at any point once the league year starts. If Andrew Wiley is back, the Chiefs franchise tag Orlando Brown, and then let's say Dewan Jones falls into the lap or Anton Harrison, and they feel really good about him, you then have your returning right tackle, four out of your five starters there, and you could potentially put Anton Harrison at left tackle, tag and, and then send Orlando Brown, tag and trade Orlando Brown, and that frees up some cap space, right? It's potential. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think you know what what's more than likely going to happen is that they will tag him and either he'll come to a long-term deal or he'll probably do a little holdout, but he was a third round pick and he more or less said this year, Hey, I played on the tag cause I like money and he's getting a raise from last year. So I, I expect him to be back and yeah, maybe the Eric Fisher, you know, uh, a year at right and then kick over to left is a possibility as well. The good news is, is I feel pretty good about the chiefs being able to find a, find an option at right tackle, whether that be Lucas Nyang, Andrew Wiley, um, or a, a rookie. So, again, it, it, Andrew Wiley is the ultimate left tackle purgatory. Or not Andrew Wiley, uh, Orlando Brown. You're always looking for better, hoping for more, but you can also do so much worse. So it, it's tr- it's tough with him. It's hard to let a guy like that go. The uh, the best comparison I, I saw, is I read something on Twitter, I can't remember who it was from, but it said that Orlando Brown, they, they named Orlando Brown situation, I think, the Derek Carr conundrum where – you have this player who's going to be very expensive and it, it's, it's very expensive to find somebody who plays at his level, let alone better than him. But also is this where you really want your money to continue to go? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. He's a guy who's good enough 
but also not good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, I mean, when push comes to shove, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the fact that he got beat terribly on the rep where Mahomes ankle got injured, like him whiffing on that, on that rushed pass rush by Arden key almost derailed the entire season, you know, and it's because he's not athletic enough to play left tackle against speed rushers. Mm-hmm. Um, one name that I would probably keep an eye on also for Chiefs fans is Matthew Bergeron. I think that he's a guy because he plays both right and left tackle in college, and he's probably going to be there around the, the 31 mark. I think that's a guy that has the makeup that Andy Reid kind of likes. He's very thick all the way through his body and very strong. Um, and so that'd be a guy that I kind of keep an eye on a little bit. Um, but anyway, got to keep but this show know- moving. The Chiefs well, met yep. with Bergeron, but the Chiefs seem to have met with about every tackle other than, you know, Skaransky, the the top of the first round. They seem to have met with every tackle who could conceivably go between about 20 and 100. Uh, it's exactly right, and including they met with uh, old uh, Kansas Jayhawk, Earl Bostic Jr., you know, as well. So uh, maybe there's a chance that there's a Jayhawk on the line as a swing tackle in the coming years. Uh, but anyway... Moving, moving on, let's uh, let's talk about players who improved or hurt their draft stock during the combine. We've been watching the combine all weekend long. We've been watching every single player get out there and test and, and very, from various positions, various different tests, whether it be the three-cone drill, the 20-yard shuttle, the 40-yard dash, blah, 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 blah. We've been watching it all. All right, Price, who's a, give me one player who hurt their, who hurt their stock and one player who improved their stock. Well, for me, deep in my heart, I have been saying, Kayshawn Boutte, you are a Kansas City Chief. Uh, Whenever you read about the things that he does well, whenever you turn on the tape and see the things that he does well, it just translated a lot to what Andy likes in a wide receiver. But absolutely brutal combine for him. When you pair that with the -the off-the-field concerns that ended his season at LSU, he had one of the worst verticals of any player at the wide receiver position. I mean, like we're talking bottom-tier vertical in the draft as a whole. And then... Pair that with how slow he ran. Absolutely brutal for him. I think he could have, you know, been an early like 40 or 50s pick and definitely around one guy going into the season and now has plummeted to what I think will be a day three guy. I still wouldn't be terribly mad if the Chiefs threw a day three pick at him. I mean, at that point, you're, you're cashing lottery tickets. And I do still like some of the things that he's put on tape, but there, there's some definitive concerns with him. And like I said, when you pair that with the off the field stuff, it really tanks his draft stock. I have, to, I have to think the Chiefs will have a really good read on the off-the-field stuff since um, Matt House, the LSU defensive coordinator, was, great point. Great point. was the linebackers coach. Um, I think for the first three years, Spagnuolo was the Chiefs defensive coordinator. But, yeah, that that was a combine to forget. And, and even if he improves the numbers, he also was a little bit shorter than I think. I mean, I think some people thought he might come in very close to six foot and is you can't be that short and that slow. No, you can't be that short and that slow. And you can also, he also lacks production too, you know, at, in college. And so he really, if a lot of guys who, who, who get picked decently high in the, in the draft, when they lack production in college is because people are betting on the traits, right? Well, you look at the traits aren't exactly there, you know, with the athletic profile. And so yeah, he's a guy who, I mean, he might go undrafted. To, to be honest at this point, you know, um, for me personally, my, I think the guy who hurt his stock the most, and it's, it's an unfortunate situation that we probably do have to address. He was probably going to be the first, maybe at least it, it was in, he's in discussions to be the first overall pick in the draft. If not, at least in the top five guaranteed, and that's Jalen Carter. Um, you know, by now, most people probably know the story. He was, there's, there was a warrant out for his arrest because he was implicated in a misdemeanor, uh, racing and reckless driving um, in a situation that that resulted in the death of a teammate and another um, team team uh, official, and so I think that there's no way it's to slice it that he hurt that that's going to hurt his draft stock. Even if at this point, if if, if he if he if, if he if he plead deals and he gets it dismissed with community service, or he or he even if he gets thrown out and he's found innocent, the fact that this story is in the news is going to cause teams to pause and look at him in a different light. And I think that it's unfortunate this story is even a thing because 
the most important aspect of this story is the fact that two people lost their lives. Like you almost feel grimy and disgusting, even like talking about like draft stock in connection with the situation where people lost their lives. But it's an unfortunate story that is very re- relevant to this this NFL draft, unfortunately. And so I, I think that, that you can't say that anybody probably hurt their draft stock more than Jalen Carter this week. Um, and then for my for my guy who I think helped his draft stock, I'm going to go with uh, Julius Brents, the cornerback out of Kansas State. He didn't run the best 40-yard dash. He was only a 4-5 40-yard dash guy, but he – he, he jumped out of the out of the gymnasium at 41 41.5 inches he, he played extremely well in all the drills he's a guy that, that there was a lot of buzz talking about him after the combine and after his workout uh, he had a he had a really good senior bowl as well he had good production in college I think that he very well may have played himself from being a third round draft pick to a, a early second round draft pick. I don't think he's quite in the first round draft pick range yet, but you know, he's six two and can play man coverage on the outside. I mean, I, I think that, that, that bottom line, he's a guy who's going to, who could be a day one starter in the NFL, especially with the performance he put up this week. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to bring up like Julius Brent has been all over my timeline since January. I've got Julius Brent's tweets to pull up. Julius Brent is Tariq Woolen but better college tape, right? An insane athlete with unteachable length. He's got like 30, he's pterodactyl wingspan on this guy and has been playing against some of the best teams in college football and has tape to back it up. I don't think that the NFL makes this mistake again as far as what they did with Tariq Woolen. And I'll be honest, I don't think that, I'm not sure that Julius Brent has seen the 50s. I think that he is a day two, first 10 picks, or sooner off the board. I think people are going to fall in love with his tape, fall in love with his character, and really like him as a player. And, yeah, you know, I think if, heck, if the Chiefs went with him at 31, I'm not going to be mad because I feel like the floor for him is so high. Play on the inside, play in the slot, physical, great run supporter as well, unteachable length. I think all those things just make him a great prospect. And then what he came out and showed at the combine, he went from a guy you could grab on day three in the, you know, in the five or six range on a mock draft machine to this guy's not going to be there past the fifties. Yeah, not at all. Jared, what do you think? I'm not, I haven't really seen a whole lot of him. Not really that familiar on him. Um, On Jalen Carter. I don't, it doesn't sound like the situation is likely to put him in, super jeopardy of not being available. I don't think he's going to fall very far, but I can tell you the, the most pointless debate to get into is going to be, should the Chiefs draft Jalen Carter if he slips to 31? Because if he slips to 31, that means teams think that he's that this situation is going to go from this to much worse, and the Chiefs would share whatever concerns anybody has. Yeah, no, if, if, if he slipped to 31, we would have to be talking about, like, 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 like pending felony charges, which yes. aren't the case, that aren't even well, considered this, in the conversation. I've seen that debate a couple of times, and that that's not a debate to be having because if, if he slips past maybe eight, then that means that the situation's a lot worse than it looks like, and and teams will be doing their homework. Teams will know things that we do not know. No, hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, um, all right, so Jared, who's a couple guys that you think hurt and helped themselves this week? Um, I don't know how much he hurt himself this week because it kind of continued to trend from uh, the senior bowl week, but uh, Andre Carter, the second, the edge rusher out of army um, did not put up good numbers. And it's especially not good for him because it seemed like it just seemed like so many edge rushers put up just freak numbers all weekend long. And Andre Carter had kind of been, kind of been a national story that, you know, here's a guy from the service academy who I heard something said maybe he would sneak into the end of round one. I think we're kind of seeing based on senior bowl week and the combine that his college production had a lot to do with the level of composite competition army plays. And then there was the story that they changed the rules and he might not get his military service deferred. And, you know, I have all the respect in the world for everybody who's going to serve this great country all the respect and well for everybody who plays at a service academy. Uh, but unfortunately for Andre Carter II, I do think he'll still be drafted, but I also think that his service time is probably going to begin a little bit sooner 
than he would like to because I don't really see him sticking in the NFL based on what these two showcases have seen. A uh, player I think really hurt or really helped himself, I would go with Marvin Mims, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. And again, if Andre Carter was hurt by the rest of his position group showing out, I think Mims, Mims was really helped because a lot of these short receivers just did not put up times that I think should leave them with draftable grades. And Mims put up a monster time. I'm going to need to go back and look and see, you know, how his senior season went, how he handled the transition from coaching staffs. But I mean, I think, I think with a good, with a good pro day, I think he probably has a good chance to maybe become one of the top players in that second tier of wide receivers. I don't think he's challenging for the first round, but I think he has a good chance to lock himself up as a second rounder when this is done. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with Marvin Mims. He was one of the guys that I had pegged as well. Frankly, if you kind of like squint and tilt your head a little bit to the left, I see McCall Hardman as far as like the things that he does well, the the type of player that he could be for the Chiefs. He doesn't have that game-changing speed that Hardman has. Like That was truly the elite trait for him. And obviously Hardman was kind of a secondary player that had been converted to receiver, so there was still a lot more upside there. But you see in the second round of the draft, um, teams really start going with their type of player more than – um, in the first round. First round's a lot of times more consensus. I think it was like Tyquan Thornton that got taken before Sky Moore with the Chiefs and right after George Pickens and by the Patriots. I mean, there's just teams start going more towards their guys. So Marvin Mims has Chiefs written all over him as far as kind of the things he does well and where he wins at. I could completely see it. And yeah, he had a great day. I think honestly, just kind of talking about the combine in general, there were some really freakish times put up by some of the defensive players, tackles and edges. You know, we haven't talked about Nolan Smith yet. Absolutely incredible. Um, another p- defensive player that really helped their case, Edibuari. I can't say his first name, the Northwestern edge. Um, to do what he did at 282 pounds, just unreal. I think the track in general slowed down over through the week. There was a lot of times that surprised me for some players in the later rounds. Like, I think a lot of people thought that the um, – Oh, I can't remember what running back it was. You might be able to help me, Rocky. But there was a running back that everyone was planning to break the forty time, or at least scare it. Um, and he didn't. Devon Artain. Yeah, yeah, and he didn't run nearly as fast as we thought. So I think the track slowed down a little bit. But yeah, to your point, I think Marvin Mims and yeah, I think that that's a match made in heaven. I'm pretty sure I've tweeted Marvin Mims. You are a Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I mean, you want to look at a great combine performance. Look at Marvin Mims. I mean, he's 5'11", 185 pounds, and the dude ran a four three eight forty when when the track was slow for a lot of the other wide receivers. In comparison, Tyler Scott, who I think is one of the most electric wide receivers in this draft on tape, ran a four five five forty his first forty. That track really did, I think, slow down as the week go, went on. But Marvin Mims still managed to do a four three eight forty. His ten yard split was one point five five. He almost jumped 40 inches at 39.5 and he had a broad jump of 10 feet, nine inches. Like for a guy his size, those are really, really electric numbers. And so, I mean, he is a guy who I think that fits that Andy Reid mold of that 5'11 to 6'1, 183 pounds, 180 pounds to 205 pounds is kind of in that middle range for those Deshaun Jackson type of players that he likes. And so, I could definitely see Marvin Mims ending up a Kansas City Chief. That's a that's a really good selection. And for Andre Carter, I mean, I think everything you need to know about Andre Carter, he put up eleven in the bench press, you know, as an edge as an edge player. We're talking wide receivers put up, you know, Raheem Jarrett put up thirteen, right? So he he put up less than the than the lowest wide receiver did on the bench press this weekend, and he attends West Point. Yeah, he attends West Point. Come on, man. You, 11? 11? You're six foot seven, and you did 11 on the bench press. Like, that's like that says everything in itself. Real quick, one more that I wanted to get here. Just one that kind of surprised me, I think, is pretty relevant to the Chiefs. I've been covering the safety unit throughout the draft process here for Arrowhead Pride. Uh, Christopher Smith, really surprisingly poor combine numbers, and does not really match what you see on tape. I'm not, you know, we've kind of gotten some of those – Schefter rap sheet tweets that say, oh, this player's hurt. That's why he sucks at the combine in nicer terms, right? Uh, but 
nothing like that for Christopher Smith and truly just really surprisingly poor numbers for him. I'll be interested to see what the pro day looks like, but there's always a couple of players at the combine that just dramatically underwhelm what their tape does. And that's one of those where it kind of starts bringing in the like, well, are we going off of the athleticism? We're going off the tape. He was thought of as safety two, probably in this class. I mean, maybe you had him at safety three, depending on what your flavor was. That one really surprised me. He was a player that I could have thought could be a potential player for the Chiefs. Really surprising how poor he performed, and I'll be interested to see what the pro day looks like. No, 100% on that. I mean, I think as you look at this uh, draft class in general and this combine, the edge rushers and the defensive tackles really kind of showed up. There was a lot of guys who were deeper guys in the draft who really performed um, really, really well. But we do got to move on. We got to keep this show on the road. We're going to end up here all night with a three-hour podcast, which I personally would be so on board for. But, A, my wife and then our great boss, Pete Sweeney, probably neither one of them would be on board with it. So we're not going to make this a uh, a – yeah, we're not going to make it a Netflix miniseries special, a true crime, you know, sort of thing where it's like eight up, eight hour long episodes. Um, so moving on, let's talk about prospects really quick. We're going to we're going to focus on a defensive tackle this week. Give me uh, give me give me five guys and with a 10 second explanation on each one. Who are your top five after the combine? Who are your top five defensive tackle prospects are? We'll start with you, Price. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I don't think we'll have a lot of dis- disagreement on this. I've got Jalen Carter, number one. Off the field, concerns be danged. He's probably a top three player in the draft. Keanu Bitten out of Wisconsin uh, has some pass rush upside. Really solid against the run. Love those Big Ten run stuffers. I've got Brian Brzee at number three. I know that he's kind of a little controversial simply because he doesn't do a lot of things extremely well, but I think overall just a really solid player. The injury concerns are just the big question there why I don't have him at number two. Most boards have him consensus number ten. Number Number two, uh, I've got Mazzy Smith as number th- uh, number four. Let me count there. I'm honestly a little surprised that he didn't test. He he was on the freaks list. I think that he's really going to show out at his pro day. This is a guy who we've talked about the importance of a deep tackle as a run stuffer with the increased cover two shell. He's a guy that I think you bring in day one makes an impact on any roster with what he can do. I think that there's like eight NFL teams that could take Matthew Smith in the first round and probably not regret it. I'm not sure he's going in the first round, but, uh, and then I've got Kalijah Cansey at number five was a freak this week at the, uh, at the combine love his athleticism, still the size concerns, still stay there is he you know an interior player is an exterior player is this agility going to translate to the next level and then i'm, I'm going to honorable mention i think kind of like what i said about mazzy smith you could kind of copy and paste with byron young the interior player not the exterior player not the edge from tennessee byron young the defensive tackle from alabama i think some team's going to take him on day two and be extremely happy they that they did he just does everything well and that's the great thing about these defensive tackles is so few of them have a low floor you know, they're all just kind of high floor players. And then if you get that ceiling with the pass rush, which is part of the reason why I like, I still, you know, have good good feelings about Keanu Bitten. I think that's a great sign. So I, I love all these players. I think most teams are going to be happy that they get him. Cansey is kind of the most risky. Cansey is by far the most risky, but he's also probably the most exciting. And he probably almost, he, he helped himself out almost more than anybody you know, coming into the combine and just being an inch taller than he's listed on his college profile, showing up and being an inch taller than everybody thought he was at six one was probably the greatest thing that he did for himself. Um, you know, in the in the whole combine, uh, I don't know what vitamins he was eating or what inserts he put so into it's his a little, shoes. Little blue pills, right? Yeah, they make you taller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did something. He was hanging upside down from a bar in his doorway and stretching his legs out, doing doing something, and it worked for him. So you know, kudos to Kalijah. Um, the only the only guy I don't I I mean, on, on my I'll go with my top five here in a second. The only guy who I got to push back on in yours is I really just I I mean this is where we differ. I do not like Mozzie Smith. I think he is one of the laziest players I've ever seen, and his size does not show up on the football field. I think that he has the most athletic and powerful body of any defensive tackle in the nation, and I see him do nothing but go backwards on the tape when I when I watch him. And so, but that's my only that's my that's my uh, my only disagreement with you. But I'm sure you have disagreements with mine as well because because I got I got Jalen Carter number one. Um, Followed up with Kalijah Kansi number two because size be damned, the guy is a football player. The guy has a complete pass rush 
arsenal. He switches back and forth between them seamlessly. He's quick enough to, to go on the stunt and, and move around outside. He can't line up at the edge. He's not versatile enough to bounce outside. But I think that the size the size problem, if you line them up to Chris Jones, kind of disappears a little bit because Chris Jones is going to be taking all the attention and be taking the double teams and triple teams and Clyde Jacanz is going to just have to beat one-on-ones. Whether or not he'll be able to do that remains to be seen, but I believe in Clyde Jacanz. Keanu Benton, number two, I said it before, I think he's a very poor man's Chris Jones. I see a lot of Chris Jones and Keanu Benton. They're both fast off the snap. They're both monsters. They both they both split blockers and defenders really well. They both have a really well-defined pass rush arsenal. Number number four, I got I got Saika Sayaka Ika, the the monster for Baylor. Um, there's a motor issue there where he doesn't play to his every single down to his give everything he has. But at that size, that's kind of hard to do because he's just so big. He could probably lose 30 pounds and not lose any of his effectiveness, though. And so whether or not he's able to slim down at the next level is, is remains to be seen. And then my last guy, I got Zach Pickens. And Zach Pickens wasn't originally in my top five, but I thought he showed so well at the combine. He had really, really powerful hands when he was going through those dummy drills. And I, I was really impressed with the way that Zach Zach, Zach Pickens performed in this combine. And when you look at his tape, his tape is great. Um, I always liked his tape. Um, I just always kind of had him kind of on the outlier of that top five, but that combined with this combine, I think that for me, a lot of the time, the combine proves the film true. And so, or, and so when I'm able to see what I see on film reflected in the combine, then it helps me feel a little bit better about bumping a guy up a little bit. Um, what do you, what do you got, Jared? I mean, I got to go Carter, number one. I don't think anybody really needs to hear any more about him. I have uh, Elijah Cansey, number two, and I, I just think of it from a Chiefs perspective. How awesome would it be on those third downs to just be able to throw him in the middle with Chris Jones and just attack people? I mean, they kind of had some success at times putting a smaller player with Tershawn Wharton next to Chris Jones for that situation. Well, imagine just having a legit dude to handle that third down role. Um, on those passing downs, I'm gonna go with Benton number three because I think I think he can be your stand-in for Chris Jones when you need to. I think he can do anything that Eric Nadi did, probably infinitely better at this point. I think he could be, you know, a player you rotate with Chris Jones and a player you complement Chris Jones with. I just think he's all around. For four and five, I'm gonna do Siaki Ika and Mozzie Smith. Pick your order because I kind of have similar concerns about both of them, but. Again, I'm thinking from a Chiefs perspective, when you're always picking this late, sometimes to to really get those difference makers, you need to just pick the one that's actually going to work out, the one that your staff can get the most out of. And Both of them, they might never put up giant stat numbers, but if they're playing their best, Chris Jones's job is a whole lot easier and Nick Bolton's job is a whole lot easier. Couldn't agree more. Sorry about that. I uh have myself on mute there for a second. I couldn't agree more with you, Jared. Um, I think that that where the Chiefs pick in the draft, you know, has a lot to do with the type of prospects that they're going to have at their availability, and that sometimes you do just got to swing on the upside. Um, let's move on though um, from here. Let's go ahead. We're going to move on to our next our next topic, which we're going to call this this little game that we're going to play right now, Raz Monsters. So for those of you who don't know, the Raz is. Uh, it's put out by a very smart individual named Ken Lee Platt. His he's at Math Bomb on Twitter. Um, anyway, he kind of he has a relative. The Raz is the relative athletic score that combines all of a, all of a player's traits into one score to kind of like um, define you know kind of give an idea of what kind of athlete they are. Um, it's on a scale of uh, zero to ten, and so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys each a shot. To give me a guy, we're going to call this Raz Monsters. Who who is your Raz Monster in this draft, Price Carter? Well, just to pair off what you're talking about with the relative athletic scores, it's also um, a composite per the player position and also their size. So you run a you know a four nine forty yard dash at three hundred and seventy four pounds as an offensive tackle. That's not going to stack up next to a wide receiver who runs you know a four four. 
40-yard dash. So there is that kind of weighted formula, by by the way, just so it, it takes positional value in there as well. Uh, mine was Bryce Ford Wheaton, West Virginia wide receiver. Um, almost a perfect, a 99th percentile raw athletic score. At 6'4", 221 pounds, he ran a 40-yard dash in 4.38 with a 10-yard split of 1.54. All those are elite traits. And then you c- combine that with the explosive grade with a 97 um, or excuse me, a 41 vertical, just awesome numbers for him. He has a basketball background as well. So, you know, that he's great at tracking the ball. That was again, one of the players that is really going to glow up from that. I think whenever you look at some of the things he was able to do at West Virginia, and now you throw that on top of there, I mean, we're talking, he has some of the best numbers since Calvin Johnson, as far as a wide receiver, as far as testing goes. So really great numbers for him. You just hope it translate to the next level as a receiver. I mean, you look at that, and those are DK Metcalf type of numbers on the outside there. I mean, when I saw – because I saw him on tape, and I really liked him on tape for West Virginia. I thought he was a great player. But when I saw those testing numbers, I mean, my jaw hit the floor. I was not expecting him to run that way. Yeah, and he he was a Shrine Bowl guy, right? He didn't even get an invite to the Senior Bowl, correct? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he – he wasn't at the Senior Bowl. He was just a Shrine Bowl guy. Really impressive. Yeah. All right, Jared, who you got? So I'm going with Old Dominion tight end Zach Kuntz because his RAS score is 10, which means he's one out of uh, 1,020 tight ends that they have numbers for since 1987. Um, not a player I really knew a lot about. I mainly recognize him because I'm sure a lot of listeners have been using the PFF mock draft simulator, and he's always there in round seven, and that that's probably not going to be happening much longer. I think he's going to go long before then. Um, so at 255 pounds, he ran a uh, 4.55 40-yard dash. I don't know a whole lot about him yet. I tried to watch some highlights yet, but let's just say Old Dominion. I think they've been in Conference USA, and I think they're in the Sun Belt now. They're not exactly playing a lot of monsters, so in the highlights – he looks far and away the best player on the field. So I'm probably going to have to do a little bit more uh, digging into him. I think in a normal year, those numbers would probably lift him higher than they probably will this year. But this year, I mean, you've got you got five tight ends that could legitimately be top 50 players. So I think that's probably going to put a little bit of ceiling on how much workout numbers are, are going to help a small school guy this year at tight end. But I'm, I'm going to look more into him as the draft goes on especially with some rumors that maybe the Chiefs have maybe been talking to a few of the top tight end prospects. I know they talked to Dalton Kincaid. It makes me think maybe it's a little bit more on their radar than they think it is, than a lot of fans think it is. I mean, at some point, as much as we don't want it to happen, the Travis Kelsey ride has to end. I mean, he's, he's he has more years behind him than he has ahead of him at this point. And you got to start. You got to. You got to. It's better to be one year early than one year late yeah. when you're building your roster. And you're crazy if you think that the podcast, the hosting Saturday Night Live, these things are not a coincidence. He, he's he's branching out for what the next step is going to be. And one day, his body's going to hurt bad enough that he's going to take one of the five opportunities in front of him at the end of the season. Well, he said on this podcast this year that this was the hardest season of his entire career and that uh, he doesn't take a veteran day in the middle of the week like Jason Kelsey does, but that he was going to consider it for the, for this next season just because he's at the point in his career where he has to do more to get himself to the point to where he's, he's at the same level that he expects each each week. Um, all right, so moving forward, we're going to go. We have, our, we have our game of the week. We have a game here every single week. This week's is Freaky Friday. Last week we played uh, MFK. This week we're playing Freaky Friday. Everybody's familiar, hopefully, with the old movie trope. You know, you get you get switched up. Your mind goes into somebody else's body. The way we're going to play it this week for Freaky Friday is if you could take one player and put them in an, one player's mind and put them in another player's body, who would it be? Uh, let's start with you, Price. Who you got? First off, shout out to early 2000s Lindsay Lohan. Be still my adolescent heart. Um, she's not quite, not quite the same person anymore, but boy, that was some prime Lindsay Lohan years. Um, 
So for me, I'm going to go with Darnell Washington's body, who, you know, just absolute athletic freak and what he does with his frame as far as a blocker goes. But Dalton Kincaid's route running and smoothness. Dalton Kincaid's been called one of the better pass catchers in this draft overall by Dane Brugler. You put that in his frame, that's an unstoppable force. I mean, that's, that's you know, like Travis Kelsey plus the size of Dalton, uh, Darnell Washington. So that's a dream come true. you got a inline blocker who you can also split out wide in the slot, win as an X or a Y, dream come true. That's that's creative player stuff. Uh, 100%. I mean, I think that that's your, that's your answer to who's next for Travis Kelsey right there. If you get Dalton Kincaid and Darnell Washington's body, then you have a 1,500-yard That's what Ky- you know. That's, right that's basically what Kyle Pitts was supposed to be. That was what Kyle Pitts was supposed to be, <laughs> and you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a very unpopular opinion here. Call me old and and a little shady, but I like Lindsay Lohan better now than she was than she was back then. I like now Lindsay Lohan. Hold on, I'm going to Google. Jared, you go. Yeah, Jared, your turn. He's googling Lindsay Lohan now. <laughs> I I don't know that you really want what's going to come up there, Price. Um, I until. About 90 seconds ago, I don't remember the last time I had thought about Lindsay Lohan one way or the other. Uh, I don't know if I need a full body transfer, but I, I would like to take Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think probably the most skilled route runner of all wide receivers in this draft. And, you know, let's just put him in Quinston Johnson's body to where you have that tall target and also just those in and out nuances. Um you know, Smith and Jigba's clearly not. I think there's a reason why he did everything but 40 yard dash. I think he knew he didn't want that 40 time attached to him. I don't think it's going to be great when he runs at Ohio State, but that that lack of that lack of speed and maybe a little bit of the height, I think, is what really is keeping teams from seeing him as an outside receiver. Although. I think the Chiefs could do a lot of the same things they did with Juju Smith-Schuster with uh, Smith and Jigba. So just give me him. And if you can't switch the whole body, just put somebody else's legs on him and make him a tick fat. Mm. Like uh, L. McPherson, like mid-90s L. McPherson's legs on Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know, you think it, and you're going to insure them for $10 million like they did back then? I like it. I like it. I like where you're going. You're building the little Frankenstein body out there, out there, Jared. What did right. you find in your in your in your googling price? I've been grinding the Lindsay Lohan tape, and here's my results. First off, shout out to the real adolescent queen, which is uh, Hillary Duff, who still looks impeccable. Lizzie McGuire, you will always be mine. Lindsay Lohan has entered the Tom Brady phase of her life, where you can acknowledge there's been some work done there, you know, but but the final product is still good. I don't think she has quite the dynasty that Tom Brady built as far as a you know an actress, but there's definitely still potential here. So I take back what I said, but. Early, early Lindsay Lohan still, still excellent. So, I think I could agree that Hillary Duff is a step above Lindsay Lohan. But so here's how how the hierarchy goes of like former those former childhood queens. It's like it goes, it goes Hillary Duff, Lindsay Lohan, and then kind of crazy Amanda Bynes. Now, like Amanda Bynes is kind of really kind of gone nuts. So Amanda, she's number three. The Amanda show was was peak humor when you were 12 years old, though, man. That stuff was hilarious when I was a kid. The yeah, dance that, was, that was where it's, it was awesome. Okay, so for me, for Freaky Friday, I'm going to go Kalijah Kansi and Mozzie Smith's body. Like I said before, I thought Mozzie Smith has, is the most athletic, powerful guy in the draft. And I think Kalijah Kansi is the smartest, most well, well-defined, like intellectually sound, like talented player on the defensive line in this draft. I think that if you combine those two, then you essentially have Lawrence Taylor and King Kong's body, and you're just going to wreck the entire league. And so that's, that's my take, my take on it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by it and I'm going to say that's the best one because I can. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so our last, last and final segment, as we wrap things up this week, we're going to talk about our sleepers of the week, our guys that uh, that you might not have heard so much about prior to the combine or even during the combine, or maybe they weren't even invited to the combine, like my guy. Um, who do you got, Jared, for your sleeper of the week? 
So um, I live in Fort Worth. In Fort Worth, we get to claim TCU. That's why I like TCU. It's like the one sports thing we don't share with Dallas. And they got beat so bad by Georgia. It's like I think that not only just – I think they got beat so bad that people just don't want to talk about any TCU prospect except uh, Quentin Johnston. And and even in a deeper wide receiver year, he'd probably be taking a little bit of the heat too. I'm going to go with the other wide receiver from TCU, Darius Davis, who on that slow track that nobody could get going on, he put up a 4-3-6 40-yard dash. Um, he's not very big. Um 5'8", about 165. He is an outstanding punt returner. He can return punts and kicks. So I think he has a pretty high floor to at least get his foot in the door of the league. I think that there's some I think that there's some development that can happen with him. I, I mean, he's never going to be a star. I think teams could design some packages to maybe take advantage of his speed. Um, Kansas City fans might remember a just absolute monster game he had against Kansas uh, not this past season, but the season before. I, in a down-wide receiver year, I think that 40 times probably and his returnability should get him drafted. I, th- I think there's a little bit more there, and I think he deserves a little bit more attention on the draft board. All right. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, what, do you, what do you got, Price? Who do you got for your sleeper? I, lo- I love listening to people who, like, watch a full season's worth of teams and really get to know a player and their analysis of them. Like I love listening to a K-State person talk about Deuce Vaughn or whatever, because you guys watch the team week in, week out and see the full story of a player. So that's always great insight. Um, I'm going to stay in the Big 12, even though they won't be in the Big 12 much longer. I've got Texas Longhorn, Moro Ajomo. He is a defensive tackle. He is 6'3", 290 pounds. Uh, with Ajomo, there's, he's going to have a bit of a hard time kind of figuring out where he fits in NFL defenses. He's a little undersized for an interior player, um a little bit big for an exterior player he's got 34 and a half inch arms which does cross that spag threshold for players he can kick outside or pull inside he does have some pass rush upside he had three sacks last season he is a five-year player he enrolled in college when he was 16 years old so he's still a young prospect he's got over 50 games played at texas solid against the run you get moro jomo on day three he is a certified good player he uh, came in this week with an 8.46 raw athletic score most comparable to sheldon richardson as far as his athletic profile goes so i mean you get athletic you get a Sheldon Richardson level player on day three of the draft, you're going to be thrilled with that. I'm not necessarily, you know, I could see him going in the third round, but I really like the upside there with the potential. I've been looking at his tape. There are so many plays that he is just right there. He's just a tick away as far as a pass rusher goes. So you think about the upside of him playing next to Chris Jones. I think the Chiefs would be really lucky to land him on day three. Give me Moro guys like Ojomo. Or, or I think, I, I, think our Lindsay, I think I think our Lindsay Lohan, Lohan jokes were better. I'll be honest. <laughs> hey, hey man, dad, dad, if you don't come here for dad humor, then I don't really know why you're here. You know, um, me for the uh, for my sleeper of the week, I got a guy out of San Diego State, defensive tackle Jonah Tavai. This guy is six feet tall, two hundred ninety pounds, built like a rabid Tasmanian devil and plays like he's trying to fist fight a cocaine bear. Like, this guy is just off of the snap. Just He does not have the longest arms. If you told me that he had 29-inch arms, I would probably believe you. But off the snap, he is just like, ah, just like going crazy to get past the offensive lineman on every single snap. Never takes a snap off. He had 10 sacks this year. He had, I think, 20-plus tackles for a loss. The man creates pressure on almost every single down. He... Like, like he's the funnest guy I've watched out of tape out of this entire offseason. Do I think he's going to be a, a first round draft pick? No, he might, he's going to be a day three guy uh, who's going to go somewhere in the, you know, 170 to 220s. But I, I tell you what, put him on a rotation and the guy's going to create, the guy's going to create pressure. And he's, I think he's a six sack a year guy easy in the league, even though he's undersized just because of his he's all piss and vinegar like when he plays he's just he plays with such a fire that i i I don't think that that an offensive line could stop him on a consistent basis so if you haven't watched him go watch him jonah tavai out of san diego state that's my guy um all right so this has been a great episode we're getting ready to wrap things up here uh bryce you're my amigo you're always bringing the fire you're always bringing the heat um 
as far as sleepers go, you got any final words for sleepers this week? Nine days until the beginning of NFL free agency begins. That's when the madness starts. And then 52 days until the NFL draft. Uh, the You know, it never stops. So just keep looking for those day three picks, those guys who are the diamonds in the rough. Those Isaiah Pachecos, you never know when they're going to come around. So exciting times, though. The, we're getting pieces of the puzzle put together here. It's going to be so much easier to look at the Chiefs draft once we kind of know what they've done in free agency. Awesome. A hundred percent. I cannot wait for Chiefs free agency. Jared Sapp, the Jay Meister, the Sapperini, the Warren Sapp's long lost brother from another mother. Dude, it's been so great having you today. This is the time. This is your time right now. This is the guest spotlight. Anything you want to talk about Chiefs draft related it, right now, hit us with some knowledge. Give us what you got. Um, well, actually, Benny Sapp was my cousin, not Warren Sapp. Um, it's exciting to be getting ready for free agency, though. I think I, the Chiefs, Chiefs fans are about to see something. We've had three consecutive drafts where we've had multiple players we hit on. I think that we kind of need to start tempering our expectations because a downside of the successful drafting is you transition to what players can I sign off of somebody else's team to which of my own players do I want to lock up and which of my own players are going to get such a good deal from another team that I can maybe get a comp pick down the road. And I think the chiefs are kind of in that transition. I don't, I think the chiefs are probably going to do quantity. I think they're going to sign a lot of very lower priced free agents. I don't, I don't look for the chiefs to make a giant splash this year that maybe a lot of people are looking for. Sorry. I mean, I think that's the Brett Veach philosophy also, especially in free agency early on, is to fill all your holes and then go into the draft with no holes on your roster, right? With just kind of like replacement level guys. That way you can kind of draft best available, right? That kind yeah. of, you think, yeah. you think? yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. And, and also, I mean, I was writing a piece today about, you know, how the Chiefs can use a couple of the mechanisms under the CBA that actually allow them to pay some players with pay some very, it's usually marginal players because we're not talking a lot of dollars, but how they can pay some players off the cap. And it dawned on me when I was writing about Nick Allegretti today. I mean, Chiefs fans also kind of need to remember, yeah, we're getting all these picks. Nick Allegretti used to be what a seventh round success looked like. And when you hit on a seventh round pick, it's a lot more likely to look like Nick than it is to look like Isaiah Pacheco or Jalen Watson. Yeah, 100%. And Nick Allegretti is the guy that everybody's looking to replace now. Right. And so um, awesome, Jared. Awesome stuff. Be on the lookout for that piece from Jared over at arrowheadpride.com. And on top of that, we have profiles coming out of every single guy that the Chiefs have met with. And as they do their top 30 visits, we'll have some more in-depth kind of um, film studies and stuff like that of these of these guys that we've been talking about. Um, the editor's show is, is, is back this week on Wednesday. And then look for on Friday for the AP Draft Room with Ron. Um, we're, we're, we're really ramping things up here pushing hard to the draft, giving you guys as much great and awesome and solid content as we can. Um, as always, we need all the five-star reviews you got. If you have opinions on our Lindsay Lohan takes, uh, you know, drop us five stars and let us know. Let us know what you think about it. Um, I we're, we're officially, I think, though, a Hillary Duff cast more than a Lindsay Lohan cast officially moving forward. Uh, but all that being said, I'm Rocky Magania at Rocky Magania on Twitter. My main amigo, Price Carter, Arrowhead Price, at Arrowhead Price on Twitter. And then, oh, as always, Truman Chief, Jared Sapp, the, the, the main man. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, everybody, for listening along today. And uh, we'll hit you up next week. Bye.